Welcome to Textile Update, the podcast where we can share our passion for textiles, fibers, and yarns. This is Gwendolyn Hustvedt. This is the second of three episodes where I talk about dying of textiles. See, I avoided the whole dying joke there. Oh, now I did it again. Now that we have a sense of what kind of chemicals, which both natural and synthetic dyes are comprised of chemicals, uh, what kind of chemicals are used, uh, you know, dyes versus pigments, and that some of them are soluble and some are not. I'm going to talk now in general about dyeing, which, as I said before, mostly uses dyes, but can occasionally use pigments. I think the first thing that we should talk about in dyeing are those factors that affect coloration. Again, this is a topic uh, of which I uh, took a whole uh, graduate level course uh, about, but um, uh, we'll try to sum it up in, in the next 10 minutes or so. Um, because dyes are carried in water, it's really important for us to think about the relationship between the textile and water. For hydrophobic textiles, we will use very high temperatures, which uh, helps to sort of get over the resistance uh, that the dye might have. And then for uh, less uh, hydrophobic or, or downright hydrophilic textiles, such as um, uh, cellulose-based textiles, we will go ahead and use um, just regular water and, and temperatures that are right for um, the, the dye to form a, an appropriate bond. That we'll talk about in the next episode. But um, anything that actually prevents the textile from absorbing water is something we have to deal with right up front. Uh, so we have to think about the presence of oil or wax or gums, such as the Saracen that we talked about when we talked about silk. Uh, oils and waxes, uh, waxes occur naturally in cotton. Oil can uh, be uh, part of the, the weaving process. But of course, the most important source of uh, something that can hinder penetration of, of the dye liquor is uh, the sizing, the starch that we applied to the textile uh, as we were preparing it for weaving. And so we need to really make sure that we have thought about, uh, dealt with, and removed anything that was going to pose a problem to the penetration of the liquid. Another thing that we have to think about, uh, besides the presence of things that will um, hinder penetration, are those things that uh, that reduce the interest of the dye in of the of the textile in actually forming a chemical bond with the dye, um, because dyes, being soluble in water, are up for chemistry. Uh, so this is where we circle back around to things we learned about in the very first podcasts of these series, uh, the podcast that focused on fiber properties. So things like the degree of polymerization, how many uh, mers are in the polymer, how long that chain is. So very short uh, polymers, uh, such as uh, rayon, which uh, we, we manufacture and has probably about 300 cellulose uh, molecules in a polymer are going to be much easier to dye uh, than a very, very long uh, polymer, such as a almost indefinitely long synthetic polymer. 
And in the same in the same way, uh, basically every time in those first few episodes I mentioned absorbency, I was tipping a nod to dying because the absorbency of water into the textile, into the fiber, uh, in its relationship with the water molecules with the polymers is... Uh, is uh, the first step in getting it to die. So uh, an amorphous fiber is going to die more easily than a fiber that is highly oriented. Uh, and there again, we may end up having to use quite a, a lot of heat uh, in order to get a more oriented polymer to die. Uh, another thing which I didn't really talk about at all in that previous lecture, uh, where I, well, not lecture, I'm trying to be all cash with you in this podcast setting, but uh, you know, my mother said to me when I said I was going to be a professor, she said, thank goodness, because you lecture everyone at the drop of a hat. So honestly, I would be lecturing a checkout clerk on the, you know, the manufacturing process of a product I'm about to buy. Uh, uh, yeah, um, I apologize to, to any innocent people who haven't paid me uh, for a lecture. Okay, so in the previous podcast episodes where I was talking about things like degree of polymerization or um, uh, orientation or crystallinity of the polymers, I didn't get into this idea that there are dye sites. Um, so in the first episode, dyeing A, I would have talked about this idea that um, the dyes are molecules, large molecules called chromophores chromophores that create a color by reflecting light back into our eye and uh, that some polymers are uh, configured in such a way that the dyes are really easily able to form the bonds with them. Uh, you kind of want to think about like trying to put a key in a lock, right? And if the lock is the wrong shape, the key doesn't quite go in. You realize like, oh darn it, I'm looking for the key with the with the um, uh, notches on both sides of the key. Or, oh, this one is the, the sort that has the, the dots on one side, right? In the same way, a polymer can have uh, can be like the lock and the die can be like the key. And so we could look at some polymers and realize that, wow, they have a lot of die sites. They have a lot of, of locks that we could insert these keys into. But other polymers only have a few where they happen infrequently along the surface. So cellulose has plenty, uh, several hydrogens and hydroxy groups per uh, glucose molecule. Right, so if, if the if those were the locks, then the, then we have plenty of places for keys to hook into. But if we're looking for one particular sulfur that sticks up out of the out of the polymer every couple of of units uh, of the polymer, then we have a lot less opportunities for the dye to bond. That can influence influence ultimately what color the intensity of the shade of the color that we get that's firmly bonded. Uh, also, in many cases, uh, there are fibers, especially hydrophobic fibers, that won't present any dye sites on the inside of the fiber uh, because, the, because it's so crystalline and it's so oriented that the polymers are all busy with themselves. In which case, again, we, we have to really take advantage of those dye sites that are on the outside of the, of the fiber. And uh, there are other uh, fibers made from polymers, again, like rayon, which does the glucose, that are so disorganized and they're so randomly uh, uh, organized that we can really get a lot of dye packed inside. There are plenty of room for them. 
So natural fibers uh, tend to have more dye affinity. Uh, the manufactured fibers, uh, the rule of thumb is the less absorbency they have, the less dye affinity they'll have. So nylon would have more dye affinity and then uh, fibers like uh, polyester or olefin have less dye affinity and in fact uh, are downright difficult to dye. So how can we change the dye affinity of a, of a fiber if we realize we're having some trouble? And this is advice here that you can use at home, right? So let's say you have an article, a textile of some sort that you would like to dye and you've purchased the dye. Uh, I'm going to go with the dye you can purchase at the grocery store, your RIT dye, which is actually several different dye types uh, in one packet. Uh, because they want to be able, they want you to be able to dye your polyester rayon uh, blend, right? So it will have a dye, a dispersed dye that's attracted to the polyester, and it will have a reactive dye that's attracted to the rayon. And uh, this is why those dyes only come in very basic colors, because we needed two chromophores that were both the same color, and that's a little more unusual than you'd think. So you're going to dye. You're going to put it on the uh, your dye pot on the on the kitchen stove. Uh, you're going to, of course, be very careful to ensure that everything you use to dye with is not used to prepare food. Uh, you've gotten separate set of sponges and things so that you can clean up very carefully when you're finished, so that you're not contaminating your cooking area. Uh, or, like me, you've simply purchased a separate heating element that you use to heat your dye pots, and uh, you don't uh, use any kitchen utensils to dye with, um, but just do it uh, freestanding on a table. So uh, you're ready to go. Here are some things that you'll want to think about that you can adjust to change the dye process to hopefully uh, improve the uh, intensity of the dye to get a, uh, to be able to dye a bit more uh, material than you might for the amount of dye that you had if you weren't careful. The example that I like to give people is, in thinking about chemistry, is to imagine that you are hosting a rave. I am currently binge-watching Alias, a TV show from the 90s, I guess. Oh, yes, back when I was younger and uh, would attend uh, nightclubs, and the music is fun. And uh, boy, that's Sydney. Uh, every other mission she's on, she's uh, off to some sort of dance party or rave. Uh, so I know it's a 90s thing, but please bear with me. Uh, so you're hosting a rave, and uh, you've got the uh, you've got the warehouse hired, and uh, you've sent out all of the the young people to paste up posters and all the likely spots and hand out flyers. And uh, of course, because this was before social media, so you weren't sending out uh, an Instagram post telling people about your party. And, uh, or I guess now it would be TikTok, right? So uh, you, you've got the rave and uh, ah, the night's young, but as you stand up there leaning on the catwalk, looking down at your huge warehouse party, you're not completely satisfied. You imagine that people should be dancing. It should just be sweatier in there, right? It should just be, the whole thing should just be hopping more. In the same way, if you look down into your dye pot and thought, huh, you know, this fabric isn't really changing color and the, the dye liquor seems to be the same color as when I started and I don't really see the dye moving from the liquor onto the fabric. How can I get this party started? Well, if you were hosting a rave, one of the first things you might do is turn up the volume on the music. Right, turn up the volume. In a dye pot, you would turn up the temperature. Now, not only does the heat cause the fibers to swell a bit, which can help uh, absorb more and uh, basically kind of entrap the dye molecules as the fiber cools, but also heat adds energy 
to uh, chemical reactions, right? He causes things to vibrate a bit more. So you turn up the volume on your rave, turn up the heat, and you'll see those dancers at the dance party start popping a bit more. They're vibrating with the energy uh, that's been created by that temperature. Well, you know, but somehow people just aren't, aren't dancing. You know, they're maybe bouncing up and down, but they're not really as, as um, uh, into it as you would hope. Uh, so you could add a catalyst. Now, in uh, chemistry, a catalyst is a substance, uh, often a, a salt or something, a white powder that isn't consumed in the process. So we cannot talk about just dropping a white powder from the catwalk. That would be consumed. That is not a catalyst. Uh, so we have to have something that kind of catalyzes people to be excited about dancing but isn't consumed. Bring in the go-go dancers. Don't touch the go-go dancers. No consuming of the go-go dancers during the rave. However, the go-go dancers are there to kind of excite everybody, show them what to do, right? And get the mood set. In the same way, we can add a catalyst. Typically, salt is added. So if you're thinking, hmm, this fabric, when you pull it out with the uh, plastic spoon you've bought just for dyeing, you lift it out and you're thinking, hmm, this just isn't turning the color I thought it would. You might try adding some salt uh, slowly to the uh, to the pot to see if that doesn't uh, improve the uptake of the dye. And lastly, you want to adjust the pH. Uh, this would be where you'd have to get with the DJ. It turns out that some raves like certain kinds of music better than others. I remember in the 90s being at the uh, nightclub and uh, going over to the DJ and say, oh, please play more of this because the DJ was playing, oh, you know, these songs where in the middle, like the music would go all kind of spacey and quiet and you were dancing really hard, right? And then all of a sudden you have to kind of like sort of stand there a little bit, right? And you'd say to the DJ, come on, play some more of the other stuff. And the DJ would be like, no, this is what's hot in New York. And you'd just be like, dude, we're not in New York. We're in Nebraska. Come on, you can play two-year-old music. So sometimes you have fibers that really prefer one pH over another. There's no accounting for taste. Uh, alkali uh, or basic versus acidic, right? Eh, you know, just some fibers, they just have their taste. So if you are concerned about it, you might try adjusting the pH, add a little bit of vinegar to make it more acid, or add a bit of baking soda to make it more alkali. You want to do a little bit of internet research ahead of time to find out what your particular fiber likes. At your rave, you're going to say to the DJ, um, you know, maybe let's blend in some of the stuff where we noticed that they were really actually dancing instead of just trying to improve your reputation by playing the coolest, latest thing. Like we're here to have a party, not teach the people who came to our party about how to have good taste. Is my opinion being just an attendee at a rave as opposed to a DJ. Okay, I never actually got to go to a real rave, I'll be honest. But those little bars in Nebraska, they were, oh, the one in Omaha, fabulous, right? It's about as close as I could get. Okay. Yes, the max. All right. So that is uh, our discussion on how we can improve the dye process, how to make the chemistry happen, how to make it sparkle.